This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and this week I'm talking with Rob Perkins. Over his career, Rob has played with Michael Buble, Tierney Sutton, and many others, but from an early age, he has also been active as a contractor, amassing a huge Rolodex of fellow musicians whom he uses to staff up live music events of all kinds. He's still active as a performer in and around Los Angeles, but he has left the road behind, and his primary role is now that of contractor and founder of On The Beat Music Agency. We have tons of Patreon content for you to check out, and you can get access to all of it for a buck a month. Matt and I are now doing monthly installments of the two of us just catching up a bit about recent guests and whatever else, and our old buddy Matt Iceman is soon going to be contributing some video content. As always, there are video lessons, transcriptions, and bonus interview content from our former guests. Once again, a donation of $1 a month gets you access to everything at patreon.com slash working drummer. So Rob and I knew each other a little bit from when I lived in L.A., and he reached out to me recently wondering if talking about what he does as a contractor would be useful to the working drummer audience, and the answer was absolutely yes. Whether you're just starting out or you're well-established in your career and on your scene, Rob has a lot of wisdom and insight about the nuts and bolts of working your way into a scene and creating relationships that lead to sustainable work. He sees the whole field from both sides of the live music equation, the musicians who do the playing and the non-musicians who write the checks and what each side wants and needs out of that interaction and how everybody can go home happy. Lots to dig into here, so let's get to it. Here's Rob Perkins. crossed paths a couple of times when I lived in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I came to mm-hmm. see you play once or twice. I think you hired me a time or two for like the, the Hotel Casa Del Mar. That's right. Thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yep, yep, yep. So it seems like when I was there, like I was in LA from 2010 to the end of 2015. And, and it seemed like you were sort of just getting going with the, um, the contracting booking my, my agency little, yeah. thing. Um, yep, yep. And, you know, leading leading up to that, um, you had amassed, you know, quite a, a resume as a drummer in your own right, which, you know, a couple of a couple of those highlights I definitely want to get into. Um, but just talk about sort of the the process you went through uh, and the transition from being, you know, a working drummer. That's your primary source of income to, uh, you know, the the uh, the contracting agency you have now. The contracting nature of what I do started for me super early. 
and that that made the transition a lot smoother but to give just a little bit of of why the backstory of how it started like i was a freshman at usc i was a scholarship freshman at usc who auditioned from a distance and i think i was a very um sore disappointment to the faculty once i showed up in person where <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're kind of like all i had together this is 1993 so i had like my weckle play-alongs and everything that you know like i could really really nail that stuff but that had nothing to do with like playing splanky in the big band and you know <laughs> corner pocket that didn't right. serve the purposes out here whatsoever so I am very much aware that I think faculty there was kind of trying to figure out what do we do with this kid here that we just gave all this scholarship money to. And I was literally standing in the office um, one day when someone higher up in the department found themselves on the phone with some alumni who wanted to book a band, mm -hmm. you know, and they didn't want to deal with it. And I just happened to be standing there. And then this particular person was the person who awarded me the scholarship. And I was aware of the contradiction. And he just kind of looked at me as like, you deal with this. Take this call. They want a big band. Set it up. You know? And I was a like, I don't band. know how to. Yeah, I don't know. how. To, yeah, they want a big band. Set it up. <laughs> like, ah, guy, wah, guy, guy. But also acutely aware that I still needed to prove my prove my worth here. And so in the, my, the middle of my fluster, in the moment, he says, set it up and give me half. And that's what I was like, what? With a who now? <laughs> what? Yeah. And give me half. And that was like, uh, not sure I'm supposed to do that, but what do you mean here? He's like, what do you charge? And I just kind of covered the phone, like, what do I charge? He says, doesn't matter what you charge. This first thing I never heard, first time I ever heard anything like that. It's like, doesn't matter. The people who are calling, who are making this phone call, they don't care. Doesn't matter. Pick right. a number yeah. kind of thing, you know? So that clued me into that's where work comes from. <laughs> mm -hmm. that's where good work comes from. That's where people find work. That's, we're not just always knocking on doors, banging on doors, put, making phone calls, trying to like walk into the bar and say, Hey, I got a band, you know, that, so that got my attention <laughs> mm -hmm. very, very, very early on. And that maintained. So I ended up being, that ended up being my job in the jazz department for four years. I became the guy to take those calls and develop that skill. And then that just kind of maintained that throughout everything that I did. Um, I moved back and forth between LA and, LA and New York a handful of times and tried to like dabble a little bit in New York. And I always sort of had a little something going on here in LA for some reasons. So, so let, let me just stop you for a second. If, mm -hmm. if I'm understanding like mm -hmm. people like during your USC years, people would call the USC music department and just looking for bands, yep. looking for music for events or whatever. Yep. And you became sort of the point man for like booking students yep. to play professional gigs. Exactly. Amazing. And that was so educational. And I didn't know that is a thing that exists. You're an alumni yeah. from this school and um, I'm having a Christmas party. You know, right, right. I'm a, I'm a, I, go, I have my T's and seconds, my season tickets to the, to the USC football games. I'm a Trojan through and through whatever the school is. I'm a supporter of such and such. I'm going to spend some money here. I'm going to mm -hmm. spend some money on my old alma mater, you know, and the people, there is a section of the world um, who are making those decisions and they don't really care too much what it costs, yeah. you know, 
Um, so that be that became a skill and a thing that I did for four years there all throughout my undergrad. Um, there was someone who was about to graduate who had been doing that job. Um, a fantastic bass player out here named Zach Matthews, who had been doing that job as a grad student. And so we had a little bit of an, of an overlap time of him training me into doing the job and showed me how to do it, gave me some contract templates and talked about some negotiation and getting information up front, yada, yada, yeah. and started making a whole bunch of mistakes that I was fortunate enough to learn from. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just got in there, got some mud on me and made the mistakes and started to figure it out. Right. My professional path from coming out of being like a high school kid into Los Angeles was married very quickly with learning how to be a drummer, but also freshman in school, starting to learn how to be booking guy. Right. Um, and then, yeah, the phone, the phone would ring. I'm having a Christmas party. My kid's having a bat mitzvah. My this is that, my that, you know, whatever kind of, I just want a piano player. Mm -hmm. um, I think my second year there, I did a big band for a Quincy Jones, he had something called Seventh Level Productions. And I've very, I found myself way over my head. Like this was a big party. But at the time, like Greg Field was faculty at USC and John Thomas, we had like so much bassy alumni. Right. So kind of on faculty. So like, hey, let me talk to Quincy's people about bassy alumni stuff. And like the, the deal was done at that point. Yeah. Um, and off we go. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. So like over, you know, over the course of, the, of your career, you've mentioned you've, you've sort of like done this contracting thing all along, you know, to various degrees in different ways in different cities. At what point do you decide like, I'm, I'm going to create this agency and cause it's, is it on the beat music agency? Um, yeah, on the beat music agency. Yeah. So I, you know, the goal was to be drummer. The goal mm -hmm. was always to be like, I wanted to get on a great gig and get out on the road and do the thing and, you know, get the endorsements and have, you know, playing behind great artists and just be drummer uh, in the way that all of our heroes that we look up to our heroes as we're coming up and wanting to all be of drummers. Which you, all of which um, you did. <laughs> kind, of ended, kind of ended up largely doing. Um, yeah. And then... Then I met my wife, <laughs> um, which which is a common story. But I met my wife, um, who's from from Sydney, Australia. I met her. We had a, a night off. We were traveling, and I met her, who was also a musician and producer, and just started challenging me on what I thought was achievable for life, career stuff. I think I was. This is two thousand five. I was born in seventy five. I think I was 30. Mm -hmm. And as far as I was concerned, I received everything I'd ever asked the universe for. Mm -hmm. I was good. I wasn't going to push my luck. I wasn't going to like, <laughs> I'm good. I've got enough to support like a little one bedroom apartment. I was living in New York at the time. I'm good. You know, I'm not asking for any more than this. I'm just going to ride this out and retire being the road guy. Yeah. Um, and then she started to, to poke and prod and challenge of like, well, what about being able to travel without the artist paying for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what about owning a home instead of renting a place? What about having some kids and being able to take care of them? What, you know, why not ask for more? Yeah. And I had, I had put down the booking thing a bit 
And that started to inspire me to kind of pick it up again a little bit and see what I could make happen and mm -hmm. reactivate a bit there. And I think we met in 2005. I think I left the I left the road in like 2013. And so it's probably like 2009, we moved back out here to LA that I started getting some stuff going, running the booking business from the road, um, mm -hmm. doing everything that I was doing while traveling and while touring, which was not easy I'm and made sure. me very not ready. Yeah, <laughs> made me very not present in the road other than showing up for sound check and gig and then going back away into my cave to do my stuff, mm -hmm. which is not great for me. You know, we talk about the things that keep a gig. Um, but and then eventually it's it grew and it was making it was doing just as well for me and the people that I was hiring as the road gig at the right. time. Um, so that transition then started to become started to feel like it was approaching and that happened to line up with a uh with a break like a out you know one album tour is finished and there's going to be a whole bunch of time off um before the next one goes on and then um just never came back <laughs> right <laughs> which was a scary <laughs> which was a scary 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 um professional period of time that required a whole well, it took a lot of sleepless nights took a whole ton of fear risk letting go of something that I built for a lifetime, walking away from a goal, deciding like, I'm not going to go do another road gig. I'm not going to, you know, chances of finding something like that again are pretty slim. By that time I'm 35, I don't know, 40. <laughs> I'm right. terrible with, like I said, I can't remember the years, you know? Right. Right. So, and the, the road yeah. gig you're referring to was uh, Michael Buble, correct? The the Buble gig at the time. Yep. Right. right. Um, and then, yeah, whenever he had breaks, I'd be spending time at home um, working on this, building this up, but also picking up little tours, trying to reconnect with old friends that I used to play with as as much as well. Right. Yeah. Well, you're you're um, touching on so, something that I think a lot of uh, musicians grapple with is um, it it feels like a huge risk um, and and also uh, like a, a very limiting box to commit yourself entirely to one thing because most of us are doing a bunch of different shit all the time, right? Like a bunch of different kinds of gigs, some corporate gigs, some creative stuff, some live, some recording, some teaching, some, you know, and we don't love all yep. of it, but there's strength in numbers, right? <laughs> um, exactly. in terms of like diversifying your income, um, and it like, it happened for me on this gig. Like I was, you know, I was offered this gig and it's like, you're going to do this and only this for, you know, a year. Um, yep. and I, I had, I, I struggled with that a little bit. I didn't struggle with it for too long because very quickly I was like, what are you fucking dumb? This is the biggest, coolest opportunity you've ever been offered. <laughs> um, with some great music. Right. Right. But there was that great moment music, of pause. Yeah, like, yeah. do I want to put myself in this box? Um, Yep. So for you, I would imagine like letting go of, you know, just sort of the quote unquote more secure, it's at least more psychologically secure to um, be out and gigging and touring and all that um, and to just leave it behind. Like I'm sure that <laughs> that caused a lot and, of... Uh, and, to leave, and to leave it behind for, at that point, this, the entirety of what I did was all just gigs around town, mm -hmm. hotel lobbies, lounges single piano players it was all the type of work that musicians 
historically are going to get fired from. There is not stability <laughs> from. You know what I mean? Right. The the rates are going to get cut. Someone's going to come in and offer to do it for cheaper. Someone's going to do the wrong thing. It was for this like element of the scene that is not stable. And I was drawn to this instinct that I felt like what this little neighborhood of the scene needs is some stability. Mm-hmm. Like the clients want music. The musicians want to play the music for money, but they don't know how to like engage with each other. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be someone who's going to walk in and offer to do it for cheaper. There's going to be someone who's going to make a fuss about this, that, the like we will get fired. So what can I do to kind of like, <laughs> what can I going to do to like prolong something so that there isn't this constant turnover and right. rates dropping and yada, 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 like stop the bleeding and then try to grow from there. Right. Um, and I, yeah, it was a really knowing that I was walking into like this, there is no stability here, but the value that I feel like I have to offer is potentially the ability to establish some stability and then try to improve incrementally from there. So what specifically uh, did you do um, to uh, implement that stability? I would imagine you had work to do on, you know, with the musicians as well as you know, the, the people who are doing the hiring, whether they're club owners or fathers of the bride or whatever. Like you, you mentioned, these two yep. types of people just have trouble communicating. So what was some of the connective tissue that that you were able to build out? The first move that I made, and this was the most emotionally challenging move, is to refuse to play the jobs myself. Hmm. That I will never go play my own job. That I have to remain an open ear, an avenue for the client to speak to without them being concerned with hurting my feelings. Mm -hmm. So if they're like, I feel like the drummer's too loud. You know what I mean? They're not, if I'm the, if I'm the drummer playing, they're not going to come and tell me, they're going to be like, Hey man, great to see you. Thanks for being here. Not calling Mm. you again. (laughs) (laughs) That (laughs) like giving, giving them a, an objective, a a referee, a middle person that they could open up to and talk to about their needs, wants and desires, what their goals are without them being worried about me personally being, having something personally invested so that I could then go and, um, hopefully actuate what they're trying to achieve for them. Mm-hmm. So that part was hard um, because I want to play right. and start hiring all my favorite people in the world, the people I really, really want to play with, but saying I'm going to be there standing in the, in the back, standing next to the manager, and I'm not touching that instrument. Mm-hmm. That yeah. sucks. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that sucks. So it's like kind of putting the thing I love the most on the sacrificial altar a little bit. Right. Like, okay, right. I'm giving you this so that I can hopefully serve in a different capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's client client facing and then musician facing, just removing all risk, just saying, starting with pay, no matter what happens here, you guys are getting paid. If I take a loss, the client gets squirrely, whatever happens, no matter what happens on this gig, on this week, on this month, you guys are getting paid. You're getting taken care of. There's someone going to be. There's going to be someone there who's going to listen to you. Who's going to understand what you're trying to do. Who's going to try to marry what you are looking for to make yourself have a good night with what they're looking for. And that still is 
they don't always believe me. <laughs> they don't always be like, you're going to get taken care of. If the client screws us, you're taken care of, and I'm going to step in front of it, and it's going to be fine, mm -hmm. and yada, yada, yada. And just starting to coach them into, you can show up and play the music we've talked about and do the thing we've discussed and not really have to worry about much else. And sometimes, even when there would be conflicting messages from a manager or seemingly conflicting messages from a manager, the manager approaches the piano player and says, hey, you guys are doing too much of that. Can I have a little bit more of this? First thing the piano player does, their shoulder goes up and like, oh crap, we're not getting paid. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> like, oh crap, there's risk here. They're gonna screw us. This is gonna go bad, you know what I mean? And so it takes a long time of like, you're good. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Try to do what they're asking you for, but you're going to be fine. Right. So it's establishing trust on both sides of the thing mm -hmm. was and continues to be, I think, the most valuable thing that I can bring to the table. Yeah. And in a unique position of I was on the road for nine years. So I had a little bit of a piggy bank to be able to say, if if there's if this goes bad, I'm going to step in front of it and make sure everyone's good. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, because one time of saying to the guys, like, sorry, guys, we got screwed. We're not getting paid tonight. They're never coming back. They're never. Right. <laughs> That's it. So right. being willing to be like, I'm going to take this job, understanding that if we make zero from it, I'm still going to be sending people home that says, Rob take, took good care of us. We're coming out next time he calls. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you you use the word uh, coach or coaching and and you know what you're describing reminds me of the the idea in sports of being a player's coach right there's this idea of and a lot of times those coaches are former players so they have buy-in and trust with the players under them because those guys know like you know this this person has done what we're has, doing they've walked those steps before they know right. exactly yeah right and and I kind of feel like us as drummers, that's our gig. We need to extract the best performance out of the singer that we can. Mm -hmm. We need to we need to light a fire. We need to frame them perfectly. We need them to deliver the best set of music so that we can work next week, so that we can continue to activate our business. Yeah. So we're back there trying to do everything we can because we can't sing, we can't dance, we can't entertain as much as they can. We're back there doing everything we can to make this thing go great mm -hmm. so that that person will get hired again and then they'll hopefully hire us again. That's um, so, so interesting. It's a similar I love, thing. I love that, um, that sort of comparison or, or whatever you want to call it because you're right, as drummers, I think in particular with singers, like we we have to really read the room and really read the singer and like you said sometimes we got to like kick them in the ass and light a fire under them sometimes we have to just like read some body language and slow the tempo down just like whatever it is they need to feel comfortable like a good drummer will be really keyed into all that so those skills those sort of empathetic uh <laughs> you know uh personal yeah. personal soft skills um you know apply directly i think to what you're talking about whether you've got to you know manage a club owner who is pissed off about something or a pianist who's pissed off about something you know you with with your drumming skills that you've honed over the years you can say i see what you need i hear your concern i can handle it <laughs> yep my my entire 
reason, I, one of the re entire reasons for doing what I do comes from, I come from a place of starvation. I come from a place of like being broke, 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 and being stuck behind the drums watching band leaders ruin the gig. <laughs> and not being able to do anything about it yeah. you know? <laughs> and being stuck back there and being like, I need us to be here next Thursday night. And right. because you just threw a temper tantrum because your hamburger came out 10 minutes late, uh, you just threw a little temper tantrum about that. We're not going to be here next Thursday night and I'm not paying rent. You know what I mean? Right. So, and, and being stuck and we're like, I'm screwed. You're such a good sax player. You're such a good singer. You're such a good everything. You're one of the best everything in the world, but you just threw a temper tantrum about your hamburger and now I'm not making rent. Right. <laughs> right. So that, that extends to like, there was an instinct that I had to not be trapped behind the drums anymore where I could help to influence things mm -hmm. or to not be stuck back there so I can stand next to the manager so I can go and tip the kitchen staff in advance to be like, Hey, I know you guys are slammed. Here's 20 bucks. My band's going to take a break in 10 minutes. Can you fly it out for me? Yeah. You know what I mean, so I can get in front of this stuff a little bit so that, Hey, everyone went home happy and nobody really knows why they went home happy, <laughs> but just like, <laughs> Right. But just like being on the drum, being on the drum kit, like when you watch your singer come in and you're like, "Ooh, they had a bad day." Mm -hmm. All right, I got to get them in a good spot. I've got to get them into a good place, and they're gonna. Then if I can get them to a place where they have a great night, they may not exactly know what I did, but they will go home and having had a great night, and I will have been the drummer on the gig, and they're gonna think like, every time I'm around that guy, I feel good. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're not they're not going to think like, man, I love the way that he made sure that it's that those hits are only on the second time through the A section that he didn't play them on the first time. Yeah. You know what I mean, they're going to go home thinking like, you know what? I feel like I walked in that room and I was a little bit worried because I had a crappy day and I was a little bit worried that I was going to have a bad interaction with the with the venue host or whomever. And I went home and they gave me a big hug and I associate this good feeling with such and such. Yeah, um, and totally. that's what, um, that kind of subject is what led me to, I was like, I feel like I want to talk to Zach about this stuff. Cause I love just the title of your podcast is the working drummer. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like the celebrated artist drummer, right. it's the working drummer, the guys who are out there practicing this traditional time honored trade of, being hired to come in and do the work not yep. necessarily the guys who are playing in the the thrash punk band and throwing their drums around after the end of the gig right. but the guys who are out there pounding the pavement um developing their brand their voice their list of styles and what it takes to get working stay working and grow your business of working and that's something that from coming from a place of starvation to a place where now i'm trying to hire drummers to do that kind of thing. I was like, I feel like I want to have this conversation.
done over 450 interviews and we've talked at length about doing all kinds of gigs and, and especially the, the ones you're talking about, just the sort of day in, day out, week in, week out, just, you know, hotel, lounge, wedding, what it like, that's, that's the sustaining yep. gigs. That's the sustaining money that just sort of keeps a lot of people going. Um, but we've never really talked to the other side of that equation, right? The people who are making these gigs happen, um, and, and and making sure not only that they happen, but that they a go well, so that b they can continue to happen, right? Um, yep. Because it's one thing to be able to book a gig. I think you know anybody. Um, we've all probably been you know found ourselves in a situation where we're the contractor, right? Like th like some family member or somebody we know. It's like oh yeah, Zach can put it together. Um, and very quickly you find out like how many moving parts there are, how many, uh, factors, logistics, you know, all that. Um, and it takes someone doing it really well for everybody to come out happy. It like everyone coming out happy doesn't happen by accident. It takes someone seeing the whole field and working all the personalities There's and all of the interests, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really glad we get to do this. And there, there's so much mystery behind it. There's so much, um, and where there is mystery, there's distrust. Mm -hmm. There's so much like, well, who's really making what and how's this all working and we're getting screwed. Like you got both sides sitting there saying, I'm getting screwed. Right, right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so like if everyone genuinely believes they're getting screwed, how do we get everyone going home feeling like, you know what? I feel I feel good about what just happened here. And right. and if they're not going home feeling that way, that's where we have to get involved. So like the um like you're saying, we all will eventually find ourselves in this position of like a family member, someone reached out to us to say, hey, I'm throwing my parents an anniversary party. Can you put together a quintet for me? Right. You just spent X amount of time negotiating with um, the people who want to throw it. They don't like the same styles of music. One of them wants to have a party. The other one doesn't want to have a party. One of them wants a DJ. The other one wants a live band. One wants jazz. The other one really wants Motown. Um, but cousin cousin Jimmy is a salsa fan. So can they play a little salsa too, right? <laughs> And you've just like gone through all of this stuff, right? Yeah. And then you're like, all right, I got this gig. It's Saturday night. It's from eight to 11. I'm so excited. I've got 200 bucks a guy. I'm going to go call my guys. You know what I mean? And you call the one guy who's like, man, I don't work for 200 bucks. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you've just like, you've just like cooked this steak. You've, you've, you've gone to the butcher. You've brought it home. You've seasoned it. You've got it. To, you've like cooked the most beautiful steak in the world. You've bought it. You put it on the plate of your favorite person. And there's like, I'm not eating that. Yep. I'm not doing that. How could you, how would you dare approach me with $200? You know what I mean? Right, right. And that's, that's one of the skill sets that I feel like I've been looking for the opportunity to say to more than one person at a time of like, what's, how do you say no? What's the right way to say no to something? Mm -hmm. um, because you who just did everything you could to deliver the steak and the person's like, is that grass fed? Like what's the right way to say no to something? And, um, and what's the right way to say yes to something mm -hmm. in the ways that will make that person be like, 
if you are not interested in the thing that I just brought you, how do you send me away thinking like, ooh, the next time I have a steak and some lobster, I'm bringing it to Zach. You know right. what I mean? Like, how right. do you send me away that's like, man, that I feel really good about the fact that I just reached out to this person. I and, love the idea um, of uh, finding the right way to say no and the right way to say yes. Um, because yeah. there are there are wrong ways to do both of those that can end up like hurting you and not serving you. Um, so like if you know if you come to me with the two hundred dollar gig and I say I don't play for two hundred dollars, that poisons the well. Like you are not gonna call like even if you have a really cool gig for one hundred and fifty bucks that I'd be perfect for that I would have a blast on. You're not calling yep. me because I was just a dick about like I don't play for two hundred bucks. Right. So, and like, I'm, and I'm not coming to you for 400 at right? that point. <laughs> yes, I mean? exactly. I'm right? not coming to you. Yeah. <laughs> Shitty right. attitude. You're I'm not done. Coming to you. Um, yeah. So, and then, so, uh, you know, to, and then to say yes the right way, um, I, I want to talk about Bobby Watson because I know you played with him some, um, and he was my grad school mentor in Kansas City. Um, and one of the many nuggets of wisdom that he gave us was, you're not too good for any gig you say yes to. So, and and any gig that someone offers you, like, you know, if someone calls you for 50 bucks, they're not telling you that they think you're worth 50 bucks. That's not, they're not, a lot of people hear it as like, this person thinks I'm only worth 50 bucks. Mm -hmm. That's not the message. They're bringing you the best they got. Right. I mean, They've worked, they've worked hard. It's so hard to get a $50 gig. It's actually easier to get a $5,000 gig. It's so hard to get a $50 gig because you're like walking into the bar and asking the bartender, can you talk to the manager? And they're like, oh, come on, man. You right. I mean, you have to like generate a $50 gig from where there wasn't a gig already. Yes. No one already has a $50 gig. You have to go and convince someone to come out and spend their $200 for a quartet that they did not intend on spending. Right. You have to create that from, it's so hard. So when someone approaches you with a $50 gig and I, I want to, it's not that they're assuming your worth and you have to remember how hard they just worked to create that. You mm -hmm. have to remember like, they are so excited <laughs> to bring you this thing. They just dug up a truffle from the backyard <laughs> and not everyone knows, <laughs> not everyone knows the value of a truffle, you know right. what I mean? But like they've just dug up this little nugget and they're so excited to bring it to you. And we have to be careful about communicating how dare you approach me with that or mm -hmm. get out of here with that. Mm -hmm. And we have to be careful with communicating. I can't believe you went and took that gig to someone else. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everyone has everyone has their right and their reasons and their own free freedom to take something for certain reasons. And yeah. not take things for certain reasons, um, right. and so like, what? And Bobby is Bobby is absolutely absolutely right. You're not too good for anything you say yes to. It's mm -hmm. so absolutely right. And there are so many reasons to say no, and the ways to say no, and we, and even times to say yes to certain things um, that you wouldn't normally say say yes to. Right. Um, so I want I want to come back to saying yes and no real quick, but like taking the example, like fortunately in today's world, there aren't that many $50 gigs left, whatever it be, 75, 100, $150 gigs, you know? Mm -hmm. um, there is, there are so many reasons. We'll leave it at 50. 
there's so many reasons to take a $50 gig that no one considers. Mm -hmm. um, and this is sort of how I got myself working. Someone, if, if you're, if you're a newbie, you're just graduated, you're about to graduate, you're just trying, you're in your early twenties, you're trying to get working. Someone brings you a $50 gig. Hopefully you really don't need $50 that much. Hopefully it's not really, you don't need that money. Right. But you really want people to hear you. You really want people to get to know you. You really want people to have the opportunity to, to, uh, here that you can play and that you're great to be around and that you have value to add to the thing. Right. So first question, who's playing bass? <laughs> have you called a bass player yet? Yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> have you called a bass player yet? With that, with any luck, they haven't called a bass player. Would you mind if I called a bass player? Would you mind if I, I would love to come and do this with you. Would you mind if I call the bass player? I would really just like to take this opportunity to like bring you a team that I feel is great. Yeah. Okay. Now, you don't need the 50 bucks. So you start calling bass players who you think might work for 100 bucks. Call those bass players and say, hey, man, I really want to play with you. I've, I thought about maybe calling you for a lesson. I really want to get on the bandstand with you. I want to feel that quarter note. I want to feel your groove. I want you to hear me. You're someone I've had my eye on for a long time. I've got this gig it pays 50 bucks, but I'm not going to, I'm never going to ask you to do that. Can you come and do this gig for a hundred bucks? I want to get on the bandstand with you and see how that feels. And I want to have that experience. And transparently, I want you to hear me play. Right. You know I mean, like you are the kind of bass player that I really want to, to hook up with. That guy is going to say, I like that. I'm coming. Mm -hmm. Or they're going to say, I can't do it, but I really respect that you made that call and that I'm someone that you want to play with. What's your name again? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's your name again? Who are you? You know, yeah, I'll yeah. tell you what I'm playing next Thursday over at such and such come by and say, Hey, you know, mm -hmm. come out, come hang out. I want to introduce you to such and such yada, yada, yada. You know, yeah. um, if you're, so if you're smart, that's what you do with a $50 gig. And if you're lucky, the first person you call says no. And if you're lucky, the second person you call says no. And if you're lucky, you can make 12 of those calls. So you've got 12 bass players who have just received this call that says like, hey, my name's Rob Perkins. I'm kind of a new drummer in town. I'm such a huge fan of your playing. I really want to play with you. Can you, would you consider coming and doing this thing with me? You know, right. You don't want the first guy to say yes. You want him to say no <laughs> so that you can make more of those calls. You now have 12 guys who are like, man, that kid wants to play. That yeah. kid's willing to do whatever, you know? Right. And then on the other side of the spectrum, sort of like the reasons to say yes and like how both people can view the same thing with different values. Mm -hmm. You are like a super established vet. You're a super established, you've toured, you've done this, you've you've been in the magazines, you've got the everything, yada, 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 right? You late 40s and you feel like stuff is like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to go back on the road anymore. Stuff is slowing down. I'm not making great money in town here as much as like, I, I shouldn't be playing these $200 gigs. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense, but got to make a buck. And someone calls you for 50 bucks. You know, you have to say like, who's on the gig, you know, and then consider taking that gig, going in, dressing like a million bucks, learning the music in advance and blowing that gig out of the water, mm -hmm. making those kids experience, they're probably going to be a bunch of kids, making their experience 
the best freaking musical experience they've ever had with this legend. They know who you are. And some of those kids next year or the year after, they're going to start getting some five, $7,000 gigs. They're going to start getting some stuff. And you will be the legend from that one night who you just came in and marketed yourself to amongst all these people. One of them's going to get a call for a family wedding that's got a huge budget. One of them's going to have a cousin with a dad who's producing a record. And they're going to be like, man, I think I can get John Smith to come and do this, man. I remember I played this thing with him and he was amazing. <laughs> it was the best thing that ever happened, you know? Yeah, and yeah. that is like, that's that's your pipeline of new business. That's right. not, I'm worth 50 bucks. You are developing a pipeline for what's going to keep you busy two years later and three years later, because those guys are going to find some gigs. Right. And, and the pipeline, your competition, like what's, your competition. What's running through the pipeline is relationships. Like we've said it a thousand times yes. on this podcast. This business is built on relationships. Like get the word networking out of your mouth and replace it with yeah. creating relationships. So you just illustrated how almost no matter who you are, a $50 gig can generate relationships or at least the so beginnings much. of relationships and so much goodwill amongst people yep. you want to play with people who can get you work. Um, and like you said, you know, the guy who's offering you the $50 gig today could very well be offering you the $5,000 gig in a year or two. And if you create goodwill and relationships now, they will pay dividends later. I'm so glad you illustrated that. Um, and you also mentioned like showing up and killing the gig, going back to what Bobby said about you're, you're not too good for any gig you say yes to. It, it took me a long time to, um, understand this and understand what it means. Um, and it, like if, if you say yes to a gig, treat it with the same respect that you would treat any other gig in terms of the preparation you do for it, in terms of the attitude you bring to it, because I like, I've been guilty of this and I'm sure a bunch of other people have too. Like you've said yes to this gig. It seems like bullshit. The money isn't great. Like everything about the gig just feels kind of like Mickey Mouse. So you use that as a permission structure to not bring your best self to it in terms of how you prepare, in terms of how you play, in terms of how you interact with other people. You just act as if the gig is beneath you. Now, it might very well be beneath you. And in that case, it's okay to say no to the gig. If you think a gig is beneath you, say no to it. Don't yes. say yes to it and then act like it's beneath you. <laughs> I've had so many interactions where someone will bring $150 worth of value to a $150 gig. Mm -hmm. And I know that their value of what they will can are capable of doing in terms of music prep, concentration, the way they dress, arriving on time, that their professional value is a standard that is we all should be aspiring to. But because this one pays $150, eh, sweatpants and yada 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 right and they're like there are people that i can't hire anymore there are people that i can't afford anymore <laughs> there are people that have have far outgrown my ability to reach them yeah and the reason i can't reach them anymore is because they have certain business practices that are what we're talking about like what bobby outlines of like when i show up you're gonna get the most amazing experience 
And that's never going to change. My brand for when I come to your situation, you're going to get the most amazing thing. And there's never going to be a dip in that. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I lose those people. I can't get them anymore. Right. They because their careers. Yeah. yeah. And they also know to like, they come and play with me six times a year. They know to develop their pipeline of business to because there's going to be the next musical director for the Emmys or something is that'll be musical directing. You know, the Emmys is in 15 years is probably playing in one of my bands. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? Right. <laughs> and so they know to come and like hang out and just be around and deliver that level of service because. Right. And That's, in addition yeah, to yeah. sort of looking forward at the, you know, the next potential big gig in that way, you know, coming back and playing with your stuff a few times a year also like maintains the relationship so that, you know, if and when their big gig goes away, they can come back to you and yep. know that they can play with good musicians, make some good money, have a good experience. It's not, you know, going on the world tour or whatever, but it's that sustainable work that we talked about that just keeps you going and fills the gaps. Oh. I want to I want to give you and your listeners an example of like the best no that I've ever <laughs> had. And there's like there's several people that give me versions of this no, you know, and it's effectively like if I'm lazy or I'm busy or I'm in a rush, I really try to use the phone, but if I'm lazy and busy and rush, I'll shoot a text out, "Hey man, can you make this thing um Friday night, say 8 to 11, pays 250 bucks." The response is, Rob, can I call you in 10 minutes? Right? Mm-hmm. They call. <laughs> Rob, how you doing? Good, good, good. How's your family? Everything's great. What you been doing? Cool, cool, cool. Man, Rob, I saw you posted this thing where you were checking out, or like, say you called me. Like, hey, Zach, man, I saw that post you just put up about your, about you got some new hi-hat symbols. I know that feeling. I love that feeling so much, man. Like, God, I can identify. It's like, it's like, it's like new shoes on the first day of school kind of thing. Like, you just want to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. they sounded great. Those symbols you got were killer. And I noticed the recording you got somehow. I don't know if it was a board mix. That recording was killer. I'm not talking about me here at all. I'm talking like Zach. That thing with the hi hat symbols and man, in touch a crash symbol. Like, might as well put the crash symbols away. When I get a new <laughs> pair of hats. I'm not, I'm not touching anything else. I just want to play. I'm just talking about Zach, 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 and how great it was that you did on that video. And man, I noticed, dude, 14 months, you've been out there doing that thing. I'm going to ask you about your experience in the tour. I'm talking about anything other than myself. I'm talking about you, 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 you. I already know I'm going to say no to the gig, mm-hmm. but talking about things I've noticed that you do that I like, that I can identify with, talking about things that you are doing that, man... I know you're keeping it together out on there on the road, and I know that's not easy. And I know mm-hmm. it takes a whole lot of mental discipline. And you got to stay in touch with your physical shape, your emotion. You know, still just talk. I already know I'm going to say no, but we're still just talking <laughs> about you. Right. You know, and then like, listen, I can't make that one, but I can't tell you how much it means to me that you call me for that. There are so many amazing drummers in this town. The fact that you thought of me and called me for it, that I'm anywhere on that list for that gig, thank you so, so much for thinking of me. Can I help you find someone? Do you need any help finding anybody? Because I will happily make some phone calls for you. Now, if you say, if you say, if you say no, cool. But I've, I've offered and I've told you, like, I know who you are. I'm interested in what you do. I'm paying attention to what you do. 
And goodness gracious, thank you so much for thinking of me. I would love to play that. Hey, what are you guys playing? It's a blues gig. Woo, have you ever remember Buddy Miles? <laughs> what are you guys playing? I want to talk to you. We're going to talk about some stuff that I love about that style of music. It's a salsa gig. Man, I remember I used to study such and such, and I used to check out these records. And have you ever heard such and such? I'm going to let you know that I know something about that music. Yeah. I'm going to let you know that, like, I'm. yeah, you called me already, but I'm going to let you know. I used to check out such and such, and I was so into it, and yada, yada, yada. I can't make it. Thank you so much for thinking of me. Can I help you make some calls? Even yeah. if you say no, then you've still just had like a great little interaction. Hopefully you've had a great interaction with me. And the next time you get an opportunity, I'm going to be one of the numbers that you call. Yes. And if you, and if you say yes, I'm using my bass player trick. I'm calling <laughs> right. a bunch of, I'm calling a bunch of drummers like, Hey man, I thought of you. I've got this great gig that I think would be great for you. You're yada, yada, yada. I saw this thing that you checked out. You were playing the salsa thing that you were nailing, blah, blah, blah. I think I should connect you with such and such. Like, if my if I'm not happy with your $250 rate, I have the potential of generating so many relationships and income out of that phone call. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and everything you're talking about is... Um, like, yes, yes, there's this gig and whether or not I'm going to do it, but your, your interaction is about the relationship first and the gig second, um, yeah. because your relationship encompasses all the gigs right? <laughs> yep. from, from now till eternity. Right. So if you know that, that one gig. and just don't, yeah, don't make it about that one gig. Um, and what you described is a very outgoing and extroverted approach. I love the idea of actually getting on the phone, right? Instead of yeah, just like yeah. text responding, like, "Hey, I can't make it. Sorry." Um, but you know, for, so if if not all of us have it in us to to uh, go down that extroverted road, you know, I I can speak for a moment from the introvert's perspective. Like, you can still maintain that relationship, even if it's in a text. Right, you can yeah. do a shorter version of this in a text, like, "Hey, man, it's great to hear from you. I like, I hope you're well." Thank you so much for uh, for thinking of me. Like I, I can't make this one, but but please keep me in mind. You know, yep. there's there's a short, compact, introverted version of everything you're talking yep. about. And by the and here's a link to this video you posted of this thing that was super killer. Right. Like and dude, by the way, I was checking this out. So killer, yep. so killer, man. I love how you do that. You know. Yep. Yep. Instead of the response of like, "Sorry, man, I'm booked that night." Right. And so this is another thing about saying no, like you can say no without saying why you're saying no. Yeah. Right. If whether the money isn't good enough or, you know, that bass player sucks or, you know, the, like whatever reason you have for not wanting to do the gig, like you can keep it to your fucking self and you can just be yeah. polite and professional and say, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't make it. And yep. why, you, like why you can't make it is none of their fucking business. <laughs> yep. And, and why be, why be pinned down to that stated reason? Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Because now, like, if they, you know, if they know you hate that bass player, then <laughs> that doesn't reflect Man, well on you. So, so like, and even more condensed, I would so love to make that gig. Thank you for thinking of me. I can't make it that night. Please think of me again next time. You yep. know? And that bass player, there is a specific bass player who... Came, I'm going to avoid names, but who came from L.A. and is now in New York playing with all of my favorite people in the world. And he's so good. 
But when he was knocking around L.A., my pompous, arrogant self was like, I don't like that guy. I don't want to play with that guy. I don't want to face such and such on the gig. I don't want to do the thing. I don't want to, mm. like, he was someone I kind of avoided. Mm. You know what I mean? And you can't assume that in three years and five years, they're not going to get it together and be killer. Right. So talk to them now, one, like a human being with empathy and kindness and respect. Make sure you're not speaking to them in the way that my kind of arrogant self in the past thought of like, I don't want to do that with such and such, you know? Yeah. You have to like plan for the fact that, oh God, I would love to be on that Chris Potter gig with you. And if I were still cool with you, it would be like, <laughs> <laughs> like I could at least be in the conversation, you know? Right, <laughs> like, right. like, oh man, that would be really, really good, you know? <laughs> and so that thing of like the relationship and not taking the idea that this person called me for 75 bucks. Now my ego is offended that they think I'm worth 75 bucks mm-hmm. and how dare you like, oh, God, it's like, yeah, like, it goes back to know, what it, you said. Like it, you know, it's the best they can do and you're who they want. They're, and they're telling you that. Yeah. Right. USC years because because we've interviewed many alumni of that program um who was your primary mentor during your time there because there have been so many big drum names that have taught there over the years um who uh who shaped you there that's a really good question um when I entered as a freshman um Greg Field was the drum instructor, mm-hmm. but he was still in the and he was still in the Basie band at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'm sorry, he was still in the Sinatra band at okay. the time. Um, and so had a lot of great, great lessons with Greg um, that it opened up my eyes to again <laughs> stuff that I never would have even heard of or dreamt about when all I really had at the time was my Weckle play alongs mm-hmm. for you know so exposed me to a ton of stuff and then um I th- became really really connected early on to the Limer- to the Lamert Park scene where Billy Higgins had the world stage mm-hmm. and there was a club called Fifth Street Dicks and I was a freshman at the time when Trevor Lawrence Jr. was a sophomore. And it may have been my first week there when I heard Trevor play. And it nearly sent me to the airport. I was just like, (laughs) I need to get out of here. That was... And he he is now still a a phenomenal... But back then, I guess as a sophomore, you're 19, maybe 20. He was the... It was amazing. Um, but Trevor had a connection. Trevor was already a member of kind of the Lamar Park scene around the world stage in Fifth Street Dicks. And through that, commu- <clears throat> through that community, I met Ndugu Chancellor. Mm. And I met Ndugu just before he started teaching at USC. I was in some small way a conduit of introducing Ndugu to the USC faculty thing mm-hmm. and then studied with him for a long time. And wow. he was a um, significant shaping force for on the instrument and his ability to one of the things that we're talking about and i didn't understand till later of like 
if you bring in Dugu to your session, everyone's going home happy. Yep. <laughs> everyone's going home happy. Like yeah, it doesn't doesn't necessarily say the music's going to get played well, because we can already assume everyone can play. You could have called him Dugu. You could have called Jr. You could have called the list goes on and on and on and on. Everyone yeah. can play, but everyone's going home having like the Indugu experience, and they're probably smiling and laughing about something that came out of the experience. Yeah. Um, so Indugu was a significant shaping force for me, and it wasn't until decades later that I found out that. Um, and Dugu had also studied with Michael Carvin when he mm. was another man. And man, that made another guy, like, like so many people <laughs> keep coming back to Carvin. Like I, I've studied with Michael a little bit. I've interviewed people who have studied with him in a much more in-depth way. Um, but man, he is, he is one of those, you know, men behind the curtain <laughs> in the drumming world. <laughs> really? And there's a, there's a phrase that I now use in other conversations that I got from you that I really love where I forget who you were speaking to, where you said like, they only made one of that guy. <laughs> like, and, I, and I really, I really like that saying, and I've now been applying it elsewhere, but yeah, they only made one of that guy. Yeah. Um, and so my primary influence at USC, which was a very formative time was in Dugu, um, as well as Shelly Berg, who's a phenomenal educator. Mm -hmm. a, he was the head of the jazz department at the time. Um, he's a really, really good teacher, mentor, educator type person. Um, and then I had a, a lot of great teachers there. <clears throat> but then it made so much sense to me when I learned that Ndugu and Carvin had a connection because Carvin then really shaped and helped me to meet the idea of who I am now, mm -hmm. into introducing the idea of what I do and who I am now to me. And sort of saying, like, I think I think I know who you are. You just don't know who you are yet. Yeah. And introducing who I am. That's you know? Carvin's thing for sure. Like he, you know, he, he he can teach the nuts and bolts of drumming as well as anyone. Um, but his his thing with so many people I've talked to is like he you know, they, they kind of met themselves through Carvin. Even if it were like I, I experienced it in just a couple lessons. Like, you know, yep. Car Carvin is one of those people who can just watch you play and talk to you for a minute and then tell you some fucking truth about yourself. It might be hard to hear, but, yep. but a lot of it's, it's yep. not always a criticism. It's, it's uh, a lot of times it's aspirational. It's something you haven't thought of. It's something he sees in you that you don't see in yourself. And even if he just like plants that little seed, like you said, it might take decades, but it took a long time. Yeah. <laughs> And sort of planted it in Ndugu, who then I found that, and then that set me on a path that eventually brought me back to the tree of the the, the carving tree of family students, you know? Right, um, right. But yeah, he is um, <clears throat> very, very responsible for, like people say about him, and I don't know how to describe this to anybody, his ability to introduce you to yourself. Mm -hmm. um, it sounds mumbo jumbo it sounds crazy it sounds like yeah whatever but it's there and when you look at his the students that came from that tree of drumming that school of drumming nobody sounds like each other right no they all sound like unique versions of who they are and i think that's a hallmark of a great educator it's true about carvin it's true about peter erskine it's true about you know, Ndugu and Terry Lynn Carrington, it's true about Joe LaBarbera at CalArts. Um, yep. you, you look at their <laughs> students and it's like, how, like how did all these people come from that person? 
Um, yep. And it's, 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 it's an intangible thing about, it, about being able to get a person to become themselves, right? And you mentioned two people that I don't want to go without acknowledging Terry Lynn, who I spent a lot of time in grad school studying with, mm-hmm. who really opened me up as a drummer and introduced me to some more modern concepts on the instrument that I had maybe traveled as far as, as like Tony in the Mm sixties and Terry Lynn helped to introduce me really to some stuff beyond that. Musically, this is now for drummer talk. It was sort of like Tony in the sixties, then jump all the way up to like cameo and R and B drummers without (laughs) like getting into like R and B and funk and rock drummers without really examining seventies and eighties and things and Wayne records that were coming out. So phenomenal, phenomenal lessons with Terry Lynn that if anyone is entertaining Berkeley in Boston or connecting with her in any way, um, highly, highly advised because super intelligent and unique teacher. And then Joe LaBarbera, I had one lesson with Joe LaBarbera because he sent me off with like so much stuff. I haven't haven't, like really run into him much since because I'm Uh still, I had one lesson with Joe where we focused on so much Max Roach stuff that um, he introduced me to Max in a way that I hadn't really looked at Max before. And that was, I haven't been back since because yeah. you gave me enough. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. I love, what I love saying about Joe is that, like, if 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 you need any evidence for how amazing an educator Joe is, Tina Raymond and Gene Coy both came from Joe LaBarbera. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the yeah. fuck? <laughs> that's such a good. Yep. You know, and that's and, a. I was just gonna say that's such a quiet flex as a teacher yeah. to be like, I'm gonna send these two out and yep. just let them demonstrate and and he will still play like himself without being like i'm going to show you the ways that i influence tina and i'm going to show you the ways i influence joy and and everyone in between and right. tony austin and yada, yada you know yeah just like god he's another one jesus what a wizard he yeah. is yeah um and we, yeah. we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh aron serfati as well um yeah yeah he's another one of those guys who i'm lucky very very lucky enough to hire um, and what I do these days in Aaron, that's a really, he's a great example of like, he doesn't need to come out and play these gigs, right? but he is coming, he goes out and plays my gigs. He doesn't play terrible gigs. They're good gigs. He doesn't need to, but I see the level of the people that he's playing with. He's teaching on my gigs. Mm-hmm. He's coming in generously, just teaching on the instrument. And I see the language that he brings beginning to expand through the LA community because these people keep playing gigs with their own and their language and the vocabulary is shifting and it's, it's beautiful. There's a contribution that we make to the scene by just leaving the house and bringing our best selves and doing what we do. And then if we do even more and bring the professionalism, et cetera, et cetera, but by bringing a unique thing that Aron has, there's not a ton of drummers in LA that can speak the language that Aron has. For sure. So he is contributing by just playing these gigs. That's such a great and point. That's about it, like, yeah, it's it's a great point about another reason to take a gig. If you're in the position that Aron is in, in terms of being an older generation, a, you know, a, a burnished resume, just you know, an OG. Yep. You know, there's there's obviously the self-interest. It's like I'm I'm going to make X amount of dollars. I'm going to get to play with so and so and like have but you know, 
if you're in that position, you can, that it, it is a way of sort of giving back to the community. If you can show you're, up on a gig like that, and like you said, do some teaching on the gig, just by being there and being who you are and bringing that experience and bringing that level of performance, that's an investment in the younger generation in your community. That's watering the garden uh, so that everybody in the community has more experiences and better experiences on their gigs. And it's so needed. We so, so, so need it. And that comes back to, again, there's this one thing that I'm very concerned about that I see sometimes, and this still comes from me coming from a place of starvation, is like judging someone for taking a gig. You mm -hmm. know, like there is plenty of $50 gigs that came in just in time when I needed them. And <laughs> yep, <laughs> like there's plenty, you know, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, my younger self is still in the position of like, I'm not going to let someone tell me that I can't, that I can finally stop sleeping in my car this week because I took that one more gig that gave me yeah. the deposit to, to get into the thing, you know, yeah. like we cannot judge people. And similarly, someone like Aron, like someone might say, um, why is he bringing such like, why is he bringing um why is he bringing this ferrari to the toyota convention <laughs> like why is he why is he playing this this gig but he's doing it because he has his reasons for doing it he's being generous he's being giving and he's um elevating those around him and at the same time we as people who make teaching as part of what we do we can't say to people you just got to get on the bandstand. You just got to get experience. You This some stuff. You just got to get out there and play, 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 play. There's few things that are more important than playing, playing, playing. Oh, but don't take that gig. Mm. Like, kind of like, oh, but don't take that gig and shame on you for taking that gig and shame on like, just, we all need to, um, that we all have to have a certain belief and faith if we're going to participate in a capitalistic system, which we can either participate or not participate. You can bone out if you want, but you are here in this capitalistic system. So mm -hmm. leverage it to your advantage and understand that like, if you have something that's, that's, that is of extreme value, that value will find its way to you. Mm -hmm. That price point, those funds will find their way to you. But at the same time, values change if the marketplace doesn't value that certain skill set that it used to value in 1995 if the value of that thing because every year schools are popping out people who can play every year there's more and more people there is a supply issue existence in our business that didn't exist in right. 1999 when i first moved to new york there is right. a significant difference in supply and at the same time there is a significant general lowering in the standards expected by the audience yep not every audience not every audience by any means but um there's a lowering of what we're really what they're really looking for out there mm -hmm. and at the same time there's competition for just entertainment there's netflix oh, stay at home watch some netflix yeah that the, the club owner's feeling that there there's everyone there's restaurants are far more popular now chefs or celebrities are you know someone may decide to go and get the restaurant experience that's more about the experience in the food these days in various places yeah, instead yeah. of going to a jazz you know right and they might choose to do that instead of going to the jazz club 
which was about the experience with mediocre food. Now they're going to go to that. And so all all that to say, um, all that to say, we have to acknowledge that nothing lasts forever, Carvin. Nothing lasts forever. Mm -hmm. Things will change. Nothing lasts forever. The values that used to exist at once upon a time, it's not worth the same anymore. There's a lot, lot of, lots of things have changed, but that doesn't mean we can't make money. I happen to believe that like money is actually kind of relatively easy to make, but you just have to know where people are willing to pay things, pay money for something. Right, right. I like what you said about not judging people for taking the $50 gig because there are, you know, there are all kinds of reasons that people will take a $50 gig. Um, And, uh, you know, earlier you, you sort of illustrated how if you're offered a $50 gig, you know, if, if you're lucky, you don't need that 50 bucks. And if that's the case, there are all kinds of ways that you can sort of strategize and triangulate and create more relationships out of that. But sometimes like you really need the fucking 50 bucks and you just got to go make it no matter what, you know, another thing Bobby Watson told us is like, as a professional musician, your music, your talent is both your offense and your defense. It is your sword and your shield. And sometimes you get to use it to get to where you want to go. But other times you have to like literally use it to just fight off starvation. (laughs) Yeah. Big time. Big time. Yeah. Like I And then um, so that has to balance with this is another thing we've been talking about recently. And like you have to balance that with um uh, like on on the one hand, there's take every gig, get the experience, make the money, you know, every every gig. Um and on the other hand, if you do that too much, you can get burnt out and you can also become a, a you know, a jack of all trades and a master of none and not know who you are as a musician, as a drummer. So you have to balance like, <laughs> you're pointing at yourself right now. That happened. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, man, big time. It, it happened to me too. It absolutely happened to me. So, um, and, and that's, and that starvation thing created it in me, right? That starvation thing of like, what do you need? Yep. What do you need? I will bring it. I will figure out how to bring it and I will do that thing. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of time in that mindset. And there was no time to think about like who who I am and what's my sound. Yeah. And then as a little as a little aside, this might be may or may not be helpful to younger drummers. Add on to that the one of the worst things that ever happened to me, grab yourself for a jazz drummer, largely a jazz drummer, grab yourself a cymbal endorsement and you don't really have a sound. Oh God, that ruined me. That was terrible. Cause then I just suddenly had a room full of symbols and like, I love when I get to play my Bill Stewart stuff on my Bill Stewart ride. I love when I get to play my K wash stuff on my, on my bounce ride. I love yeah. when I get to play. And then now my willingness to be whatever you need was supplied with infinite instruments. <laughs> and ooh, Yeah. Terrible, yeah. like really terrible. So that's, that's a great point about like for just, and be that, careful of. It's a great point about the instruments you play because, like, you know, you're you're coming at it from a place of like it's the opposite of starvation, right? You've got all these instruments, you can sound like anybody suddenly. But I think a, a much more useful exercise is to you know. Yeah, like you can switch out a cymbal or two. Yeah, you can tune the drums different or change the heads or whatever. But like if you can sort of keep the sounds you work with in a smaller scope and figure out how to make those work in a few different 
you know, in a few, they're not going to work for everything, obviously, but just yeah. talking about finding your sound and finding like what you give a shit about as a drummer. Like if you can kind of pare down the options <laughs> so that, so that your sound I'm comes from you, not from the instruments. Yeah. I'm to the, I'm to this day still, I'm a little sound obsessed, you know, like mm -hmm. I played a gig last night that, that the room didn't love the ride symbol. Mm -hmm. And I forced myself to just bring one ride symbol to that room because there were times when I'd show up with five or six ride symbols <laughs> to make sure I had the ride symbol that yeah. the room liked, you yeah, know what man. I mean? Um, but, uh, but I'm still to this day really, I really, really admire people who, there's a guy, there's one of my absolute musical heroes, the one of the most professional people and drummers I've ever, ever engaged and know of that um, that you've interviewed, Steve Haas, who yeah. can play um, on the same instrument. He can play so many styles and so yep. many sounds. Yep. And, it, and he just locks it in and it sounds phenomenal. And at least as far as I can tell, I've been lucky enough to have him on hundreds of gigs, um, as far as I can tell, nothing's bothering him. He's in a good spot. And mm -hmm. he's that same instrument, same set of symbols. A, a, a crash might change. Yeah. But like he can deliver so many sounds and so many styles. We'll go from tipping during dinner to slamming during dance party. Yeah. And um, so I still am jealous and really admire people who are able to do that. Um, but that's another example of like, um, no matter what happens, you're going to get premium service. Uh, when a guy like that is on the bandstand, right. doesn't matter the gig, right. you're going to get premium, premium, premium service. And that is a brand. He's a, in the time that in the world, in the drumming world, he's a legend. But as time goes by here in Los Angeles, I hire other bands that he has played with and I hear him in the band. You know what yep. I mean? When, yep. he's, when he's not on the gig, I hear his influence on the band. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I hear heavy. the Haas-isms, the Haas arrangements. <laughs> that's how much of an influence, and deservedly so, an influence he's had on the thing. And that's the type of thing that will keep someone working. That's the type of thing that will like keep someone busy, 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 busy. Um, yeah, no matter what happens. There's yeah. not going to be – there's nights off if they want them, but, you know. Um, well, man, this was so this was yeah. so great. I, I really appreciate you uh, reaching out and and uh, there's there's so much we've talked about here that I think is going to be really useful and actionable to a lot of people um, because we talk all the time about you know how how to create work for yourself and we talk about creating relationships, um, but there's you know those are those are kind of abstract ideas and I think you've you've illustrated really well. Uh, what to do, how it's done, we, you know? Yeah, we are, my my biggest takeaway I'd, I'd ask people to consider is like, you're in the people business. Mm -hmm. You're in the people, people, human people business. Right. And um, if you stay focused on that, um, every, every, there's a lot of great players, you know? <laughs> there's that, yeah. If you operate from the assumption of like, everyone can play everyone can play especially to the demands of what most gigs are happening these days the general level of the talent pool is very high yes everyone can play but remembering you know the thing that can set you apart is that you are dealing with humans you're dealing with the business of people and um by keeping people associating you with i can count on this person to send everyone home happy 
that they're going to make my band sound great. They're going to, the people in the room are going to feel like that band looks, sounds great. They're all happy. They're all smiling. You know, our job as drummers, this is getting a little, little long, but our job as drummers, we make that band sound and look so great so that the band gets hired again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the band leader may or, you know, may call a different drummer, drummer but if, if the audience is like, this band makes me happy, that's right. all the audience knows. Yep. They make me happy because they're smiling. So like Bobby Watson will take a two hour van ride and not he will fill up every minute of, of a two hour van ride with jokes and have everyone <laughs> cracking up. And then you're walking into soundcheck, you're walking to soundcheck smiling and happy and feeling good instead of like, oh, two hours in the van. Right. You know, you're walking into soundcheck in a good spot, you know, yeah. and the band has a vibe and you guys are going to have a great gig. And it's not so always like about being the people. life of the party. Like, so, you know, some people like Bobby are just, you know, natural extrovert extroverts and, and do that. But, you know, the, yeah. those of us who don't have it in us to be the life of every party and the mayor of every town, you know, there are yeah. still ways that we deliver value. And it's about being positive. It's about being respectful. It's about being professional and and yeah. developing genuine relationships and bringing your real self, bringing your real best self, whatever that looks That's like. That's very important. That's very important. So just to piggyback, like it may, yeah. it doesn't have to be, I'm not supernaturally extroverted, but I can turn it on and I go home exhausted, but you're <laughs> real, but you know, I go home, I'm tired as all, but your real best self might be finding a moment to pull the band leader aside and being like, you did a great job tonight. You made my job so easy. Your the set list was great. You I saw that you had to manage this, that, and the other. You know, when such and such walked in late, you kept them comfortable. I'm just letting you know you did a fantastic job tonight. And yeah. I really respect that you put this all together. You could and then coming back around, you could have called a ton of drummers for this gig. Thank you for calling me. Yep. I appreciate it. And I see the work you're doing. Dude, that guy's going home. He's gonna remember that conversation forever. For and sure. if you mean it. Yeah, and if you mean it, you're a great human being because you're paying attention to them. You know? Yes, and like, that that resonates so, yeah. with, that resonates with me in particular because one one of the things I've learned about myself is like in in my younger years, like just as a performer, I used to think that my machine ran on applause, right? And it yeah, is yeah. you know a, a room full of people clapping for you is great. It's very very nice. But what I've learned about myself over the years is that what I value even more than a thousand people standing up clapping is one person coming up to me and saying, man, you sounded great. Like yeah. one person I, goes I out of that. the way. Yeah. Yeah. So if you can kind I of be that. that, if you can be that to other people, it's part of creating relationships. If you don't know somebody from Adam, but you see them play and you're like, holy shit, that dude's a monster. Like say so, <laughs> right? You don't have to like sell him a bill of goods. You can just go up to him and say, man, I love the way you play. Yep. And Thank you for doing. Thank you for being generous enough to play that way tonight. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. because so many. It's very easy for someone to go into shoemaker mode and, chat, mm-hmm. but there's nothing wrong with that. But if the music is asking for more and the person isn't willing to give more, like so, thank you for being willing to give tonight. Yeah. Like, yeah. I re- I heard it. I heard it. That connected to me. Thank you for being generous. Yeah, I I really hope that for your podcast, the Working Drummer Podcast, that. I I know the feeling of struggling with money and work and what we do out there. And I don't want people to feel like you can't make money doing this. Yeah. It's just money is actually not that hard to make. You can do it. 
just remember you're in the people business and make people feel great. And that's going to make the band look and sound great. And the phone will ring and someone is going to say like, that band might be more expensive, but boy, do my customers like them. Mm-hmm. Off yep. we go. You know? Yep. So on. thanks, Zach. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. Really great you, talking you. to you and, and best <laughs> wishes on, on everything you're doing, playing and booking and, and <laughs> otherwise. Exactly. I'm halfway, I'm halfway through your interview with Ulysses right now. So I'm looking forward oh. to going and finishing that. <laughs> like, thanks for doing what you do. I, I love what you're doing. Man. He's, a gr- <laughs> he's got some stuff and you're, yeah. you're a great, you're really good. At, I, and I mean this, you're really good at what you do. You're a great conversationalist interviews. Journalism is a skill. I don't know if you consider yourself a journal, a journalist, but you have developed the skill of a journalist with great follow-up questions with great listening skills and the ability to further the conversation along like for all i know you can have a degree in journalism but you've I, developed a skill and it's cool to see i don't man yeah. uh, but th- thank you thank you okay. for saying so man i really appreciate that that means a lot coming from you keep on going and hope to see you soon thanks again to rob perkins hope that was insightful and useful to a lot of you lots to think about and hopefully act on there Next week, Matt Krause will be talking with Emmanuel Cervantes, an L.A.-based drummer who tours with pop star Andy Grammer. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, play pretty, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.